Greetings. We're glad you've returned to the Black and Grim podcast, an original horror fiction performance. Come in, come in. My name is Mr. Black, narrator and host of our beloved podcast. Our writer, the Madman Grim, is around here somewhere. I can tell you he's planning something special. Now, what's in store for our Danny Preston? Could there be something heinous in the car? Or perhaps it's all in his head? But now, settle down, try and get comfortable, for it's time to start episode 5 of Danny's River. When we're children, we see a whole wide world before us. Sure, it's scary. Sure, things can seem too big. But if we're lucky, we have people who help fill in the borders. We help make things feel just a bit more manageable. And then, there's folks like me. The real lucky ones, who find their reality stripped of borders and comforting arms that make things better. We grow old too fast, we see our joy turn bitter. If someone had asked, I wouldn't have had a logical answer for why I sat next to Kara, watching the sun sink deeper into the Carolina skyline. My blood boiled as they ran miles and miles of interior pathways. My limbs trembled, as if caught in a near constant earthquake. She rubbed my back as I leaned forward only to bury my face in unsteady hands. I couldn't have conveyed a suitable answer to justify why I'd left Miranda and Scott after we had... after investigating my mom's car. I drove to this woman's home. Anne, or Jerry, I can't remember which, answered after I jabbed the doorbell over and over and over again. No angry words greeted me when the door swung open. Instead, I met with kind words and a question. How can I help you, son? Damn it all. I nearly blabbered there in the doorway, but managed to ask for Kara. I was welcomed in as Jerry... And? Jerry? As whoever called for her. My memory of the following minutes are wrapped in a hazy cloud of lethargy, with nothing to draw out hindsight's ruined clarity. I parted from Kara's parent and followed the beautiful artist through her home, out to the backyard where we'd have privacy. She guided my heavy frame down into a seat with skillfully delicate hands without much effort. When I was seated, she lowered herself next to me, then waited patiently as I stumbled through my shell shock in search of what to say. Finally, my mom, when she was home, she always parked her car in the garage. Well, unless she was washing it or loading the back seat. Once, some years back, I asked her why she didn't let one of us park in the garage, why it always had to be her car. She said, Cuz, Danny-o, 
She's a finicky old car and is afraid of the dark when there isn't a nightlight on. Now I thought Mama was messing with me, but come to think of it, I remember she wore a peculiar expression when she said it. Pausing, I regarded my hostess with weariness. Maybe I expected rebuke, or perhaps nothing more than a half-hearted chuckle. Regardless, Kara remained silent, her eyes fixed on mine. I opened my mouth to ask her opinion. She shook her head no, and motioned for me to continue. Anyway, the car shouldn't have been in the driveway. It... it just shouldn't have been. God damn it. That son of a bitch. That monster won't stop. He... he... I broke down into strangled sobs. Garbled sounds plunged from my too wet mouth as saltwater oceans formed in open palms. I sank deeper into my seat, temporarily oblivious to the world around me. He keeps messing with me. It's just... it's too much, Kara. Somewhere in the distance, closer to the borderlands separating sorrow and acceptance, I heard echoes of a woman's voice, Kara's voice, whispering I'd be okay. Around us, Twilight faded as the day announced its final curtain call. An exterior light erupted in revelatory yellow, its beams penetrating everything it touched. The comforting yellow gripped my downturned face and lifted it heavenward. Lamps ignited their own orange-yellow gleam on the nearby street. Their illumination sheepishly prodded through the trees engulfing the yard's perimeters. I felt curiously comforted by the artificial light as if technology existed to combat my youthful distress. Eventually, the sources feeding my tears dried up. I nearly tripped down the steps as I ran from the house. Why is her car in the driveway? Scott! I didn't wait for my friend to answer. Instead, I pivoted on the staircase and barreled downstairs. I barely registered Miranda's startled call as I shoved by her. The car. Had to get to Mom's car. I didn't quite clear the doorway when I ran out onto the front porch. My shoulder thudded against the sturdy frame, causing pain to shoot down my arm and up my tense neck. Additionally, I bounced to the left, nearly causing my feet to entangle. I fell forward, though not quite fully to the porch floor. Instead, my knuckles grazed the banister as I swung my arms wildly in an attempt to reclaim my balance. White-hot pain shot through them, coupling with the pain already spreading up my wounded arm. Still, I didn't slow my momentum. Danny! Scott yelled after me. He followed closely on my heels, but my attention couldn't wholly regard him. I staggered to better footing by the time I made it to the yard. Now that the dirty white car loomed in front of me, I lost every inclination to hurry. My instincts screamed, guts nodded, and I knew I verged on sicking up in the yard. Again, in a move ripped straight out of every angsty teen movie, I dropped to my knees a couple of feet away. Suddenly, I didn't want the answers I came outside for. Daniel? Miranda asked. She stood near my shoulder arms folded, with eyes scanning the ominous automobile. I barely noticed she had reverted to my formal name. It didn't matter. When I didn't respond, she added, What am I missing? Mom's car. Say again? 
but by this time, Scott had joined us. He answered for me. His mom never left her car in the driveway. It's a nutty oppressed and golden rule, according to Danny. Is this true? I nodded. You two need to step away from the vehicle. There could be a bomb, or worse. She wasn't wrong. A bomb quite possibly awaited us. I had seen enough cop shows and action movies to figure that option offered little and satisfactory conclusions. At least not when you were the good guys. However, I didn't think any explosives hid in Mom's car. No, I suspected Todd had something infinitely more nefarious in mind. So drawing on post-teenage foolishness, I slid my keys from my hip pocket. My mom had given me a spare key in case of emergencies when she first got the automobile. Muscle memory remembered I still had it, and muscle memory thoughtlessly pressed the button to pop the trunk. Damn it, Danny, Scott muttered. Stupid, Miranda hissed. I licked my lips as the trunk opened. Life isn't a movie, and things don't happen as smoothly as film editing implies. The door didn't ominously rise in slow motion. It did, however, bounce upward a fraction before settling. I'd have to step closer and manually lift the damn thing if I wanted to know what was inside. Miranda placed a firm hand on my shoulder in a feeble attempt to stop me. I tried to shrug off her grip, but to my surprise, her fingers tightened enough to rock me back on my heels. I wheeled, rage plastered all over my face and made to push her away. The officer sidestepped to prevent my assault. Caught off balance, I stumbled to my knee, landing with a heavy thud. Ow! You need to calm down, she said calmly, businesslike. Settle, Danny. I'm not your enemy. Let go of me, I snarled. Each word fell heavily from my lips as uncompromising anger filled me. I spoke slowly, menacingly, and in some deeper, calmer corner of my mind, I noted Scott's concerned expression as he stood nearby, with his arms folded across his broad chest. There'd be no help from him. Will you listen to reason? Silence greeted the question, as I didn't trust myself to offer anything better than petulance. How could you trust calmness to pierce anger's veils? A better man might know the answer, but it escaped me. So I clenched my jaw so tightly the bones cracked. Childish, perhaps, but it achieved the desired effect. Miranda released her hold, and, throwing her hands into the air, irritation plastered across her face, stepped back. You're an idiot, Scott muttered. Ignoring this, I met the cop's gaze. We? No, I. I stood poised across a line I'd never step back over. Understanding passed between us, understanding of this moment's inevitability. Todd hadn't hidden a bomb inside Mom's car. I only needed to remember my completed laundry or his delusion that I was his son to comprehend an explosion wouldn't facilitate my death. So I had to risk it. I had to lift the trunk and claim my revelations. Even so, I realized that by doing this, by ignoring sound advice and not following some legal protocol, I risked friendship. I risked normality. But as I dropped my eyes and reached out to fully open the trunk, I also understood how willing I was to pay such a price. Only two things were inside an otherwise immaculate cargo area. You should know, Mom's trunk typically had dirt or discarded something or other in it. 
but the grayish black carpeting appeared to have been vacuumed recently and all the junk had been removed. I stood, my hand rested on the raised lid and looked at the stark white backside of an 8x10 photograph. I'd have to touch it to learn what image awaited me. My eyes shifted to the right where an old tan teddy sat peering up at me. The bear seemed familiar. At first I couldn't place it. Had I seen him in some old commercial? I used to have a stuffed bear. Bear, I called him. I know, original. But I hadn't seen bear in since the night Todd murdered my dad. Reaching down, I slowly lifted the stuffed animal towards my face. A single piece of cardstock tumbled from its stubby arms as I did so. It fell, bounced against the bumper, and skittered towards Miranda. She plucked a pen from her pocket and gingerly turned the card over. Then, crouching over, she read, Bear has kept me company for some years now. Now, he's come home to you. She sucked in air and, as she rose, snapped, What else is in the trunk, Danny? An unnatural chill filled the air as the three of us stood there. I had already turned around and, as she spoke her question, found my arm already reaching down to touch the photograph, to turn it over so the next piece could fall into the puzzle. I barely registered Scott and Miranda's movement as they closed the gap between us. Transfixed, I traced the photo's perimeter. Did I want to know? Did I? Really? I clung to some foolish notion I did, but truly, what had Uncovering Truth done for me lately? besides send me down increasingly tormented roads. Life doesn't really prepare you for... for what? I don't know. We struggle through childhood, enduring painful scars and harsh lessons, only to stare into adulthood's blank face. We endure sickness for good health's temporary reprieve. We suffer. God, how we suffer. And more often than not, the scars bore a little too deeply. The wounds fester too quickly. So far, Todd's gifts range the spectrum to encompass chores, to murdering my family, to a mysterious video of my father's brutal murder. If nothing else, I anticipated unpleasantness. It took several heartbeats to process the image. A young man in police attire smiled at the camera. His angular features seemed familiar. The too wide predatory grin and the wild glow that even reflected in the eye's photographic double. Drawing the picture to my face, I finally processed a young Todd Wilkinson. I bit down on the screen that tried to force itself free. In his arms I saw Bear, fresh and unstained by time, and a small newborn. My eyes darted back to the murderer's face, to the expression of absolute joy written there. Then I looked past him and saw something that caused the photo to slip from my fingertips. Now, you know that viewing mirror in children's wards where people can ooh and ah over newborn babes? Well, the man holding the baby, the man holding me, Todd Wilkinson holding me. A wide, surprisingly crystal clear glass pane stretched out behind him. Even now, I'm not sure what I expected to see. Surely not the Caucasian man with his fist raised, as if eternally caught in an attempt to strike the glass and his mouth opened to utter haughty words. His own eyes widened in shock, 
This person dwelled somewhere between shock and anger. I sensed familiarity in this man. Then, my eyes darted to the three faces. I realized who the picture's second man was. My dad! Kara gripped my forearm affectionately as she listened. I like this woman. Despite knowing so little about her, I felt I could unload my truths on her. Foolish, perhaps. However, life quickly stole my people, leaving me with increasingly fewer people to share my sorrow with. She met my eyes. They didn't hold contempt or an obvious wish for my silence. Then, with the love a mother shows her infant babe, she started humming a gentle tune in my ear as she ran her fingers through my hair. Maybe it was the melody, but my mind slowly settled and a gentle peace flowed through me. After a while, I noticed the dark settling in around us. Sure, there were streetlights and a peaceful glow emanating from Kara's house. I glimpsed moving shadows beyond as her parents drifted about their tasks. Suddenly, my temporary peace vanished. I had intruded into their domain. Did you drive? She asked when I finally pulled away. I walked. Let me give you a lift home. She stood and offered me a hand. You don't have to, I mumbled. We'd broken the spell. While her presence still comforted me, I disconnected from her. Can we try again tomorrow? Her words caught me off guard. My mind wandered inward and, as she spoke, I realized I'd stopped paying attention to her. Try what again? She frowned and, taking my hand, led me around the side of the house, back towards the main driveway. I followed like a small, confused child, wondering what Kara wanted to try again. Once, my shoe caught in a jagged paving stone crevice, nearly sending me sprawling into my guide. Her surprisingly strong grip kept me aloft and moving forward. Ultimately, she brought our movement to a stop next to her dusty pickup. Kara? What do you want to try again? Living, Danny. Living. Her words floated over the air, settling against me with unobtrusive gentleness. I didn't know how to respond, to offer some rebuttal. Hell, did one even exist? Finally, dumbly, I said, I am living. Do you really believe that? I opened my mouth to rebuke her. To clarify, I had been doing a pretty bang-up job so far of living. Yet, cocking my head to one side, I forced consideration into irritation. Folding my arms, I reclined against the cab door and, eyes downcast, waited. Taking the hint, she went on. I think you're just getting by. Man, I get it. Like, for real. I don't know how you're still moving around after all these gut punches. She paused, closed the gap between us, and laid a strong hand against my chest. I saw paint beneath her short nails, not a dainty girl, rather she seemed wrapped with life. True, I murmured under my breath. Say again? You heard me. I did, but say it again. Also? Here she tapped her index finger where her hand rested only moments prior. Then she reached upward and pushed my chin higher so we met eyes. Merriment twinkled in her aqua pools while swampy darkness covered mine. Unable to match her energy, 
I merely repeated what I had said. I managed to maintain eye contact with her, though. I like you, you big lug, she said. Why? Because you're a good soul. And I believe when you come out on the other side, being there will be worth all this darkness. She frowned, pulling away to fish for her keys, and added, It's an evil thing what's been done to you. A hateful, evil thing. Another sorrowful lump rose in my throat, constricting the words before they breathed fresh air. A solitary tear spilled down my cheek, only to throw itself from my trembling jaw seconds later. Thankfully, the sturdy automobile provided enough stability for my legs to support my body, but it was hard. So goddamn hard. Kara reached up as another droplet soldiered from my deepest reserves. She delicately wiped it from my face and, stepping onto tiptoes, kissed my cheek where she had caught the tear. Let me take you home. Tomorrow, you can buy me lunch. You're stubborn, I muttered half-heartedly. Huh, that's what Mama tells me. Personally, I like to think I know what I want. Now, get in the truck. I'm taking you home. Scott's house. That's where I'm staying. There's no damn way I'm going back to... To... Okay. I was referring to your friend's place anyway. She kissed my cheek again before dropping to flat feet. She nodded to one side, a silent motion for me to get the hell out of the way. Polite, but firm. When I moved around the truck bed, she pulled open the door, hopped in, and slammed it shut behind her before I managed to get halfway around. Finally, when I drew the open cab to clamber in, she commanded, Alright boy, get your tail on this here horsey. Don't you need your purse? Nope, got all I need in here with me. She offered a playful wink that said, I'm including you with that, Danny Preston, and you better just go and accept it. We settled into, if not a comfortable silence, at least one lacking any unspoken questions. Kara wasn't the best driver. She drove too fast and cut corners a tad too close to the curb for my liking. So, while I did appreciate the lift, I wasn't overly enthusiastic about the ride. Despite trying to keep her from seeing it, my hand clutched the door and I beat down the urge to grab the overhead safety handle we call them things the old shit bars. Anyway, at least she didn't hit anyone that I know of. Danny. Danny, no. A voice whispered in my ear, female this time, reminiscent of Nadia Preston. I jerked upright, banging my knee into the dash with enough force I saw stars. You okay? Kara asked, glancing at me as the truck rolled to a stop at an otherwise empty intersection. A dull red glow emanated from the traffic light. It cast us in spectral rows, transforming my inner distress into nightmarish glimmers. I started to answer. I swear I did. Will you just let me out here? I asked instead. Not waiting for an answer, I grabbed the door handle and started to climb out into the night. No! The voice shrieked in my ear. I recoiled as if slapped and bounced against Kara's hand. She had been reaching towards me, presumably to stop me from running away. Instead, as my spine impacted with her fingers, she emitted a pain squeal and clutched the wounded hand in the other. Ouch! What? Whatever she saw in my face, whatever fear contorted my features into some hideous parody, 
It caused her words to violently sever from conclusion. Sorry, I mumbled automatically. In truth, I held less concern for her hurt and more for my own sanity. I strained to hear the voice again, only to meet with stifling silence. What happened? I didn't know how to answer her question. Ignoring her pleas, as well as the disembodied voice in my head, I stepped into the cool night air. Any other time, six or seven cars, all with drivers pressing down on angry horns, would have cleared the intersection. Now, when I needed the distraction to slip away, only the wind and ghosts shared the road with us. Damn it, Danny! Glancing over my shoulder, I realized she had put the truck in park. Emergency flashers matched time with the blinking caution lights overhead, but her face, normally a pretty caramel shade, burned with the same crimson heat as the stoplight. What the fuck? Don't... What is going on through your head, man? Seriously? You know how in comic books, the hero has some special sense to tell them when danger approaches? It's pretty cool, right? Well, reality isn't quite like the comics. However, these voices tread awfully close to the fiction. Yet how could I communicate this to this woman? I remembered a conversation between mom and me. An odd time to, perhaps, but... Well, I think I was starting to crack a little. Do you believe in love, Danny? Mom asked as she leaned into my shoulder, nudging me playfully. I guess so. Truthfully, I had no idea if I'd ever truly been in love. I thought so, just like every other teenage boy. But really, do we ever know for sure? That doesn't sound too convincing. Okay then, I said. I believe in love. The laugh, which followed my words, was a purely melodic experience, rich with the husky bass and the subtle blend of alto. It was music in and of itself, and always made me smile. Also, her mirth revealed things about the world. Life didn't have to be taken so seriously, and joy, no matter how fleeting, danced to the spirit if you permitted it. Okay, well how did you know you were in love? Better yet, what's your definition of love? What's your definition? I asked, wagging my tongue at her. Yours first, she said, not allowing my deflection. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess it's finding someone and living happily ever after, I said, groaning miserably. We beheld the scene before us. It was one full of simple life. Scattered clusters of horses nibbled clumps of wild grass, and rabbits frolicked carelessly beneath their feet. Even from where we stood, I could see brilliant pinpricks of light shine off their silken coats as they stood, proudly, against the distant horizon. The pasture, a random parcel where we had stopped for a rest on a spontaneous road trip while Walt was spending the night with friends, rolled with a green carpet. Every so often, wizened trees stretched outwards, their leafy arms shielding resting animals from the glaring sunlight. I turned away, unable to watch the carefree scene any longer. Something in Mom's face hinted that we were in the midst of profundity. She continued leaning against a stiff fence, one foot propped on the lowest rung, her hair pulled from her face. The poet said love conquers all, or maybe it was love gives us wings. Regardless, it isn't a toy or a tool. 
Do you know the difference between being in love with someone and loving them? I... Uh, I shook my head, and though she didn't look at me, my mother nodded her understanding. And that's alright. You're still young, son. She turned slightly, offering a small smile. I love you, and your brother. I love my parents. It is a strong feeling, with bonds that run deep. Loving someone means you would do, if not anything for them, a lot. Being in love, that's not really a choice. It's like a street fight. Dirty, bloody, logical as hell. I wanted to laugh, but her words kind of made sense to me. I love you, kiddo. One day, if you're lucky, someone will fall deeply in love with you. And if you're even luckier, it'll last a lifetime. I caught the tears in her voice, but didn't know what to say to comfort her. I wasn't wise enough to comprehend the loss my mom felt, so I merely stood beside her, watching the grazing horses. After a long quiet, she said a final thing. You should believe in love, Danny. You should. Love might just save your life. Danny, talk to me. Shaking my head, I realized I had zoned out. A tepid moment later, reality slammed into me. I wheeled around, and in a calmer moment, I realized I loomed, menacingly, over her with clenched fists and strained muscles. My entire being settled into fight mode, purely automatic, and someone outside my conscious control. My action stalled her, and to my dismay, she backpedaled several steps. Go home, Kara. I really like you, but... Fucking disaster, I growled. Admittedly, the words carried a heavy dose of bitterness. When she didn't offer any response, I said, I'm hearing things. Ghosts. Voices. Hell, I don't know. I think I'm going nuts. And then, when I think shit can't get no worse, Todd Wilkinson messes with me. Oh, Danny. She wrapped bare arms around herself. To keep me away? To protect herself from the cold? I could only assume the worst. This beautiful creature who created things, who painted beauty in an ugly world. I didn't want my family's murderer to dash her on the proverbial rocks. Ashamed, I offered my back and started towards the nearby sidewalk. You stop right there, you silly boy! My heart violently hammered in my chest as I stood, staring at the empty buildings running alongside the street. Just random businesses, closed for the night, stared back at me, their dark pain staring at me with cold indifference. The streetlights had changed from green, to yellow, to red several more times in the interim. Still, no other cars. An easterly wind shuffled around us, rustling nearby tree limbs and loose paper. I imagined an old western superimposed over the nocturnal scene, and, not for the first time, shivered nervously. I can't do this. Do you remember when you rescued me from the river? I nodded again, unsure of where she was going with this. Yes? Daddy, get! The ghostly voice shrieked in my head. I shook it violently, trying to dispel the spectral assault. She wasn't looking at me, so Kara didn't see my gesture. I was more terrified than I'd ever been in my whole life. I've drawn the scene. It's how I deal with the bad things in my life. And I keep remembering how this disheveled white boy jumped in to save me. Yeah, 
You're kind of a mess, and yeah, you've got a serial killer out to get you. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I should turn tail and run. My mama always said I knew when I saw it. And you, silly boy, I see it. See what? I see you, Danny Preston. I see a man who keeps trying, even when he's fighting against the whole wide world. I'm not afraid of monsters like your mama's killer. You should be. Why give them more power? I didn't have an answer for that. Instead, I focused on the empty intersection and tried to prepare myself for the voices. Come on, she said, motioning towards the truck. I want to take you somewhere. Where? Mom's shop. Huh? It's closed. Why there? Kara's demeanor sharpened, allowing a glimpse of the mom she might someday become. She showcased her mother's warm sternness while maintaining her dad's stoicism, and still, something else. A hardness I found equal measures intimidating and alluring. This creature, this epitome of the female enigma, wielded force I could only stand in awe of. Well, under normal circumstances anyway. To my relief, I retained my snappish armor. Because it'll help, like hell it will. Now I consider myself pretty open-minded, but my personal beliefs shy at this side of being considered a heathen. While my own mother had frequented the shop, I tended to hold more conservative views. Besides, everyone knew the new age scene was for gay guys and women, of which I was neither. Don't be a lout, she snapped with less bite now. I don't believe in. It don't matter too much what you believe. White magic exists. Jesus had it. All mamas do too, in one form or another. Maybe there's something to help you fight your monsters. She indicated the truck again, and without waiting for my obedience, climbed behind the steering wheel once more. The lights changed again as I stood, scratching my chin and wondering when the hell things were going to be normal again. The waning moon didn't offer any advice when I looked up into her luminescent face, and the stars merely twinkled indifferently. Another gust of wind blew through the empty street. This time, its invisible fingers prompted a shudder along my spine. Time to go. I felt my phone vibrate in my pocket. After today's events, I probably should have answered, or, bare minimum, checked to see who it was. Instead, I surrendered, and mentally berating myself, returned to the passenger side door. My hand was on the armrest, my foot on the floorboard, when I happened to look across the intersection towards a cluster of trees just off the main sidewalk. Movement caught my eyes. Laser focusing on the scene, I strained to detect its source. Hey, I said, leaning in so Kara could hear me. Hey, do you see that? See what? I pointed towards the cloister, hoping her vision proved more efficient than mine. I don't see anything. Fear suddenly gripped me. Despite lacking any true rationale, I barreled into the truck and slammed the door behind me, nearly catching my fingers. I leaned forward in my seat until my nose nearly pressed against the dirty windshield. The dark seemingly deepened near the trees, but I couldn't detect any movement. Maybe the wind caught something over there, made it seem… I don't know. I could tell Kara was trying to be helpful, and I appreciated though annoyance steadily replaced any trepidation I had been feeling. Great. I was hearing things. And now, voila, seeing things too. Come on, Danny. Let's get going. 
If you really don't want to go to the shop, we won't. I... I'm only trying to help. We can go. I still didn't believe in the mumbo-jumbo. Kara obviously did. Maybe it's an artist thing. Maybe something cultural. Honestly, whether or not I believed in magic or whatever, I did believe in the undeniable presence of evil. My attention kept returning to the trees, and as she pulled through the intersection, my eyes remained locked on them. Nothing moved, except branches in the breeze. I couldn't discriminate any person from the dreary background. Do you want to know something unsettling? I looked back a final time as the truck reached the end of the block and Kara started to turn right. I wouldn't swear on a Bible or anything, but I fucking swear I saw a tall figure step out from the shadows and wave towards me. My head whipped around to see if Kara had seen it too, but she remained focused on maneuvering the automobile. So I looked again only to find an empty street. We drove in silence for another couple blocks. Her fingers tapped the wheel to a vaguely familiar melody, but besides our rhythmic breathing, we drove with a gulf forming between us. I like quiet moments sometimes, but not when my imagination drifted a bit too far off the rocker. I watched her from the corners of my eye, hoping she'd speak, hoping I hadn't screwed things up with this quirky, unbelievably hot woman who against all logic and all odds held a torch for me too. You never told me what happened after you saw the photograph. Like, how did the cop react? What about Scott? I mean, what's to tell? Try me. Okay. Daddy, bro, talk to me. Scott. Scott spoke to me, but Scott couldn't be there. I was only a baby. Only a baby being held by the monster who spent a lifetime trying to decimate my family. At least he spent my lifetime doing it. No, my friend couldn't be there. Whose hand pressed against my shoulders, shaking me, dragging me away from the hateful trunk and a photograph that couldn't be real. As much as I wanted to deny the image's authenticity, I couldn't bring myself to do so. That being said, my whole world cracked as the mirror tumbled around me, revealing the ugly wounds behind the facade. Daniel! A woman's voice. Miranda's voice. Strong hands pivoted me around so I faced her. Concern etched across the detective's face. To the open trunk. To me. An unreadable expression settled over her when she spoke again. Danny, I need you to go sit on the grass. Do not touch anything else. Do you understand me? I nodded, but maybe I'd been nodding my head already. Frankly, I didn't understand anything right then. Still, got to keep the popo happy. Whatever the case, she motioned for Scott to escort me to the yard, where he guided me into a seated position that reminded me of second grade show and tell. Hey man, it's gonna be alright. Know that, right? There he goes again, ladies and gentle beasts. Scott Lattimore being the all-around good guy. The one you want in your fucking corner. No. No, it won't. I lowered my face and pulled my knees up into my chest. I wanted the world to go away. What are you... You are not ser... Are you out of your mind? We cannot do that. I lifted my head to see Miranda speaking into a cell phone as she surveyed the trunk's contents. Anger flashed. Her fist clenched the device so tight I expected it to shatter. 
She lifted her free hand and, gripping the car, slammed the door shut. <sighs> yes, sir. I understand. Scott and I exchanged perplexed glances before reverting our attention to the petite woman. What do you think is happening? I whispered, more to myself than my friend. Old girl just got in some serious trouble, I'd say. He answered, crouching next to me. Sir, you cannot do that. The call lasted several more minutes, and as we watched, Miranda grew increasingly agitated. We couldn't hear whoever she spoke to, but good money's on her captain, who, if you'll remember, has some shady dealings in his past, especially where Tom Wilkinson is concerned. Her face transformed from deep crimson to chalky white on a revolving cycle that, under other circumstances, I would have found impressive. Eventually, the call ended. We waited as she pressed the cell against her lips. Unhappiness engulfed Miranda, weighing down the remaining daylight. She stepped towards us, turned around while throwing up her arms, and then turned to her dress again. This occurred several times. Each revolution saw her composure slip even more. Her glasses slipped down her nose each time she circled around towards me. Honestly, this all unnerved me nearly as badly as the truck's contents. What's up? Scott asked her. Ever the hero, he climbed to his feet, making sure to brush the dirt from his garments. I... I am being dismissed from duty, pending an investigation. Huh? I awkwardly got to my feet. What kind of investigation? Daniel, she said, reverting to the cool, impersonal detective facade. I told you things were not quite... I do not have the word. Copacetic? That word will do. When you were upstairs getting your things, I made a telephone call concerning the detail, as I mentioned to you. She thrust the thumb upward, pushing the glasses higher on her face. I was suddenly afflicted with the image of an irate principal who had caught her students doing something pretty fucking stupid. Well, pick your poison. Kids do plenty of stupid. Point is, she looked pissed, and the glasses just added to the image. I'm not understanding. Call me dense, but I really didn't follow. Scott whistled sharply, though it sounded more like a violent release of air than anything artful. I glanced sidelong at him, but he wasn't paying attention to me. Instead, his eyes locked on Miranda. He seemed to grasp her meaning, though I still needed some explanation. Guys, gonna tell me what's going on? She's been targeted, Danny, Scott said, without taking his eyes from her. Means what's happened runs a bit deeper than a cannibalistic pervert trying to exterminate the Preston family. Means that notion you got that someone with pull is helping Wilkinson ain't too far from the truth. That about right? Miranda cocked her head to study my friend, almost like this was the first time she had really seen him. You are correct. If I return to the precinct, I am liable to disappear, or more likely fall victim to some innocuous crime. Then don't return. I blurted. If that's what's in store, don't. I have to, Danny. Why? Because she's an honest cop, Scott said for her. If she doesn't, they'll know you aren't as oblivious as they think. Whoever is helping that piece of shit, well, he has the power to make life more interesting. There are honest police, Miranda said, quietly, almost wistfully. She placed a cell in the case at her hip and joined us in the yard. Her eyes hardened behind those glasses, but the hurt, or betrayal, wasn't directed at me. 
We watched as she struggled for composure. We were poorly equipped to help, not due to some misguided notions of masculinity and femininity. No. How do you help someone whose belief system has, for all intents and purposes, shattered right in front of you, especially when you're kind of fucked up yourself? There are honest police, and then there are those who use the force for their own vile agendas. Don't count me out. Not yet. Why are you doing this? It is the right thing to do. But let it be. Indignation met with her resolve. I didn't want to let it be. As my emotions violently battled on my face, she smiled at me. Rage knocked defeatism aside, only to lose a tussle with melancholy. This emotion succumbed to that. Miranda, however, settled into acceptance. Deflating, I realized this creature, who seemed smaller and infinitely more delicate than me, wielded a strength and integrity far superior to my own. Had we known each other longer, I might have offered some commendation, some token of respect. Time did not belong to us, so I merely stood there, hands clenched in unbridled defiance, and accepted her choice. Thank you, Danny, she said. This isn't the way. I tried one last half-hearted time. She simply nodded her disagreement and left us. Are you serious? Another red light. This time, we shared the intersection with another car. Its matte black exterior muddied our ability to make out any details, and the buzzing orange glow from the neighboring street lamps blurred the vehicle's interior enough so I couldn't make out any occupants. Paranoia gripped me, though I figured it couldn't be Todd. Besides, even if it was, I noticed headlights in the side mirrors. Relief coupled with growing tiredness prompting my eyes to droop momentarily. Her question seemed rhetorical, though I suspected an answer was necessary. Yeah, that's... It's been a day. Our light shifted to a welcoming green glare. The car lurched forward as she lifted a foot from the brake. I noticed her peer into the rearview mirror and frowned before she pressed on the gas pedal. I watched the car cruise past us as we met halfway through the intersection. A young Hispanic teen not Todd. I emitted another relieved sigh and looked towards Kara again. Worry lines crinkled her forehead, and her hands gripped the steering wheel as if she were choking it. What's wrong? I asked, straightening in my seat. I turned to look behind us. Darkness pressed in along the edges, but the twin lights blinded me. Shielding my eyes, I said, Kara? That guy's coming a little fast. I know. Seems like he's driving faster since the light changed colors. She looked straight through the windshield, focusing on the yellow and white lines running to either side of the road. Her bottom lip quivered, as if her tears wanted to escape, but she didn't cry. I reached over to place a comforting hand on her arm. She smiled, thinly, but didn't ask me to remove it. We're almost to the shop, right? Her voice cracked, allowing panic in as she said, I just want it. That's when the speeding car slammed into us. Our screams mixed in the air as she lost control of the wheel. A momentary reprieve when she managed to correct the truck before it could pirouette into a nearby storefront. And then the assault continued. The seatbelt snapped tight against my neck, nearly strangling me. 
and I reached out instinctively for her. We rolled once, twice, and a third time as her hand locked onto my wrist. Then, as Kara's beat-up old truck rolled through a shop's thick window, we slammed against the door, dashboard, and each other. We came to rest, sideways, with my eyes fixed on a disheveled clothes rack. Blood pumped from bloody lips and searing pain burned around my midsection. The darkness crept in as I heard a car door open and slam shut. Then, boots on broken glass as the fog settled more heavily. Unconsciousness claimed me soon after, but not before I saw the face looking down through the driver's side window past Kara's unconscious form and into my eyes. Hello, Daniel. And then, Todd Wilkinson smiled and reached to open the door. This has been a Black and Grim production. The Black and Grim podcast is an original horror fiction production and cannot be reproduced without written consent from the creators. All rights to the story belong to the author and cannot be reproduced without written consent. Besides, I do not think you want to anger Grim. Thank you for joining us for episode 5 of... Danny's River. Join us next time to learn what Wilkinson has in store for Kara and Danny. Grim. Grim? Why is the body missing pieces? <laughs>